Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. There's no better way to start episode 61. Hey, did I get it right? Oh, my God. Yeah, Jesse. Got it. Chris, there should be, like, sound effects or something. There should be, a, like, a like a, like a a back scratcher sound Hooray! effect. Or like, yeah, like, the funny thing about that, Jay, is we never anticipated, as good as we are, your whole crack staff here, no one ever anticipated you getting the episode number correct. So there are no sound effects for that. So you'll have to do it in person. And even fewer <laughs> anticipated me getting to episode 61. But we here, bitches. Yay! Oh, man. Welcome to the episode 61 of the Full Go Podcast, brought to you by The Ringer. Chris Tannehill, Jesse Lopez are manning the ship, making sure we keep this thing in the air. Steve Cerruti is somewhere lurking in the shadows, as he always is. Uh, fellas, the, the Bulls can't play no damn defense, and I don't know which way to package it for you as a listener, but every night I go into this this uh, pregame situation, I, I bring up the same talking points in the meeting, and they and they're like, all right, well, we got to talk about something different. We talked about that the last 10 games. I'm like, well, they ain't fixed the shit yet. Uh, they give up 119 points to a really good team in Philadelphia. And man, Joel Embiid, you know, Tony Gill, who is uh, an irritant, 
and also a dude who I love and adore uh, here in the city of Chicago. He's like the voice, the young voice of Chicago sports, especially at NBC Sports Chicago, handles all their podcasting situations. Last two, three years, Tony Gill and I have been fighting about Joel Embiid. And he thinks I think Joel Embiid isn't a good player, and it's never been that. I've always had the highest of expectations for Joel Embiid. So when Kawhi Leonard hits a shot that bounces five times on the rim and sends them to the finals instead of the Philadelphia 76ers, or he's battling with gastrointestinal issues, or he's jumping up and down on a stage while having a bad knee because he's at a concert and enjoying his young life. Like there have been moments throughout Joel Embiid's career where I'm like, eh, you know, I'd love for him to get into better shape. I'd love for him to do this. I'd love for him to be that. But man, the dude has been a load since he came out of Kansas. If if he stays healthy, we're looking at one of the greatest big men to ever play the game. And I mean that. Joel Embiid, skill-wise, imagine having the the physical stature of Shaq and the skill set and 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 feet and movement of a guard, or dare I say, Akeem Olajuwon. Like that was the cop coming out of college. And I was like, eh, you know, because you saw that one year at Kansas, and you think to yourself, all right, he's dominating kids. Let's see how he does it at the next level. But you knew that ball handling was there. You knew the uh, footwork was there, and you knew the defensive presence. Right? Like he he's a guy that covers so much ground, changes so many shots, and he doesn't really rebound the way that you think a guy that big should rebound. But he's still going get you 11 or 12 that dude looked at Nikola Vucevic tonight and said hey you're gonna be on skates all night so which which song you want to hear you know a little roll bounce all right you want to hear a little outstanding like which which 70s funk song would you like to hear Vooch and Vooch is like none because I don't know any of them but honestly Joel Embiid was the entire show tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers they played off of him Furkan Korkmaz and Georges Niang and a bunch of dudes, you know, Seth Curry and Tyrese Maxey, they play off of them, but that's the MVP of the league right now. That's going to be the MVP of the league until he gets hurt or if, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, he's been hurt a lot the last couple of years, so I'm not going to act like I'm hoping for him to get hurt, but you know, injuries happen. And if an injury happens this year, I wouldn't be surprised because he's already dealt with some issues and he's always monitoring that knee. But that dude is just a beautiful athlete to watch. I mean, the man taking the ball off the rim, dribbling the ball up the court, and not just dribbling up the court like, a oh, look at this big man dribbling up the court. No, he's dribbling up the court trying to get into offense. So Joel Embiid was too much for the Bulls tonight. Uh, and that being said, defense is an attitude, defense is a pride thing, defense is an effort thing. And I fear until Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso come back, it's a next shot team. And all the things that people said about this squad when they put it together in the beginning of the year, I'd hate for them to be true because of injury and because of, of health and safety protocols. Guys missing minutes, guys missing time, guys missing weeks at a time with injuries. I'd hate for it to be true because what they said at the beginning of the year and what the, what the pundits said, I should say, at the beginning of the year was this team, yeah, they might score, but they're not going to be able to defend anybody. And they went from a top 10 defensive team to this last month and a half being one of the worst teams in the league. I don't think it's because they don't have guys who can defend. I just think they have guys who have never been really put in a role to have to defend. And that may sound crazy to people who don't really watch NBA basketball or who who think the same things that they thought about NBA basketball in the 80s, where it's like everybody travels, everybody, you know, nobody can play any defense. No, guys are decent defenders, but I think more so it's a scheme and familiarity issue too. I mean, 
one, familiarity with your teammates, and two, you got guys on the other teams because of COVID and because of injuries, you're going in and out. I mean, there was a dude who played tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers named Charlie Brown Jr. And I I fashion myself a pretty big NBA fan, right? Been around the game for a little bit, watched some college ball just to see who's going to come into the league. If you would have told me, hey, man, you, you can guess your favorite cartoon character, one of your favorite cartoon characters, and he's playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, I wouldn't have gave you that. You know, I, I'd get, you know, Heathcliff the cat, something like that. Or, you know, maybe uh, maybe a lion I'd ask if there was a lion out there for them or if there was a, a pig from Voltron out there. But no, no, it's Charlie Brown Jr. out there playing. So, yeah, I, I know there's a lot of guys running around in the league right now who you just don't have a scouting report on. But that's no excuse for the Bulls. It's none. They're not playing the, the kind of defense that I know Billy Donovan wants them to play and also that they can play. Javante Green, Io DeSumo, those guys are really, really good defenders. But they're counting on guys like Malcolm Hill and Matt Thomas. Hell, Tyler Cook is an important player to this team. And no shade to Tyler Cook, but uh, at the start of the season, he went on the roster. And then, then he goes from that to being one of the more important bigs on your team. You know, hurts his ankle. You can obviously feel the, the the lack of physical presence. They can't run Tony Bradley for for uh, major minutes. This team's gonna have to figure it out. And I I worry. And I and I've said it the last couple of pods as well. I went uh, tonight 43, 45 points, whatever it was for Demar Derozan. Heavy minutes. There was a moment in the game where Billy Donovan said in the post game presser that he asked DeMar if he you know, wanted to come out, if he needed a blow, you know, fourth quarter rotation, get you back in here. He's like, no, I'm good. Well, I don't want for game 75 and 70 for us to be seeing those nagging injuries creep in because games 52 and 53, you're playing big minutes against teams. And I know Philadelphia's a contender, but the San Antonio's of the world are getting the same effort. They're getting the same um, you know, workload. They're getting the same usage out of DeMar DeRozan and, and Zach Levine. Hell, Zach right now has pretty much got wear and tear injuries. He's got the knee and he's got the back. So if these things are happening now, and you're going to, you know, go to All-Star break and both of those guys are going to be involved in the festivities and going to All-Star break and being hurt or going to All-Star break and participating is a lot different than sitting your ass down for a week and, and, and just chilling and allowing your body to rest. You've got sponsor commitments. You've got NBA commitments. Um, it, it is, you know, it, it's a week-long job for, for these guys. And that's why, you know, LeBron James had David Stern and Adam Silver change this thing a few years ago where it's like, okay, you get three days to rest up your body before we throw you back in the ringer. No pun intended. Now DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are going to go and Io DeSumo is going to go. And they're going to be involved for that entire week. So I, I just look at this time now where they're not playing defense, they're not putting teams away, and then the trickle-down effect of the injuries that are, that are going to follow just because of wear and tear. I mean, these last couple of years have been topsy-turvy, as we all know, because of the pandemic. These guys' rest cycles haven't been the same for a couple of years now. The, you know, getting ready and, and getting your body in shape to get ready to, to play an NBA season and then having to turn right around after the bubble and come back and do this thing all over again. There are a lot of guys who are walking wounded in the NBA right now. For whatever reason, they've persevered. I have to keep telling myself that, too. I was on a, on a, a pregame call with Casey Johnson, uh, you know, longtime trip writer, now NBC Sports Chicago uh, com writer. Terrific stuff from Casey. Anytime you go there, he covers the team like a blanket. 
Casey's talking during the meeting. Uh, Will Purdue, Kendall Gill are talking during the meeting. And I text KC on the side and we're talking about the team that we're talking about. And he goes, yeah, you think they weren't number one in the East right now. Like this team has gone through everything that they've gone through and still sit atop the, the Eastern Conference. Now, as we're taping this, uh, I believe the Miami Heat have pulled ahead now with a half game lead, and which is the reason why Eric Spolster and his coaching staff are going to Cleveland instead of Billy Donovan and his coaching staff because the Miami Heat have the better record uh, as, of, as of today. Man, this team, I don't know how they've done it. And, and you're going from being good and happy to being greedy and having unfulfilled expectations. And I think that's the mode that we're in right now as Bulls fans trying to figure out, okay, I'm on board. Because Bulls fans have tried to jump in before, you know, and, and these last couple of years when Zach was going crazy for 40, you know, seemingly once a week, and they were still getting their asses kicked. And Bulls fans are like, oh, they got something, but I'm not ready to dial in just yet. This year, the ratings show it. Uh, the the Twitter and and Instagram engagement show it, social media shows it. The amount of content that 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 has bulls on it now, and and how many numbers those things are doing, it all shows. But the expectation level has now risen as well. So I, I'm in this pocket of strike while the iron's hot, but also understand that this thing might be a year ahead of schedule. And then we talk about windows and the Cleveland Cavaliers just coming, you know, busting through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. Like, hey, by the way, Karis LeVert is a member of our team now. This is a team who, you know, three seven-footers are, are, are vital to them. They're, they're playing a style of basketball that nobody else is pe- playing. They just didn't have the scoring punch that they may need down the stretch to close out games. And oh, by the way, they add one of the better isolation players in the game to their roster. Cleveland's not playing. You know, the Orlando Magic, a uh, bad team. Guess what? They, they played the Bulls pretty tough. Bulls got the Charlotte Hornets coming up here. Charlotte score 130 on you, you know, just rolling out of bed. The Eastern Conference is tough. And to get to where the Bulls want to get to, these regular season games are going to matter and mean something to all these other teams as well. The reason why I think this is going to be a seller's market is because so many teams believe they're involved in play-in situations. And if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, you're sitting in the cut now. I believe they're fourth in the East as we're taping this. Why can't you beat Milwaukee? Why can't you beat Brooklyn? Yeah, you're going to give me Giannis and you're going to give me Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and James Harden. I'll agree with you. But there are certain teams that are too young and dumb to not know what they don't know. And I don't mean that as a slight. I mean that as respect. Cleveland Cavaliers take the floor thinking they're going to beat your ass. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But more times than not, they do. And that defense is an identity and a trait that carries and travels. It's like a run game in football. If you can run the football, you're going to be able to run the football at all times. If you can run the football and can't throw it, Somebody's going to beat you. Somebody's going to shut you down. Ask the Titans, you know, ask the San Francisco 49ers. What the Cleveland Cavaliers essentially went out and did is bought themselves a passing game. They went out and bought themselves uh, a guy in Karis LeVert for Ricky Rubio and a few picks. And and the secret sauce, the secret sauce for this team is that Rajon Rondo acquisition that they made. Because now you've got a guy on the bench who is a multiple champion, multiple time champion. He's, he's tutoring and mentoring not only a bunch of young players, you know, defenders like Isaac Okoro. Evan Mobley's probably going to be the rookie of the year, right? Jared Allen, he's going to carry whatever sauce he had for not getting to the All-Star game throughout the rest of this regular season because he should have been an All-Star. And the moment that he wasn't an All-Star, he went out and got had, what, 29 points and 22 rebounds. So I think he's going to carry that chip on his shoulder for the remainder of this season. But Rajon Rondo is going to be 
key and vital to Darius Garland's growth. You know, the Bulls, the Bulls aren't the only, oh, look at this team in the Eastern Conference. There's a couple other teams, and they're making noise, and on top of it, they're making trades. So if the Bulls have to go out and do something uh, drastic, so be it. I don't think anything drastic is happening, though, because all the pieces that they could give up or might want to give up, they need in this moment. So if, if Jakob Pertl and Dennis Schroeder become Chicago Bulls, what you giving up? And Bulls are in the trick bag right now. The guys that they're counting on aren't here. They're coming back. But how much will you slide or will it be a slide? Or will they just tread water? Because the Brooklyn Nets are going through their issues. The Miami Heat are kind of rounding in a playoff form as we turn this all-star break. And, you know, some of these other teams like the Milwaukee Bucks, they know what they could do. They're not afraid to go to your house in Game 7 and beat you. They're the reigning champs. They got the, uh, the MVP. They got the dude who scored 50 in an elimination Game 7. Right. And that's always going to be attached to his resume. So they don't they're not worried. Philadelphia 76ers, on the other hand, you know, if the Ben Simmons, James Harden conversations that people are having. Cool. I don't I don't believe it'll happen. One, because I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are going to trade that guy to, uh, you know, one of their closest competitors in the Philadelphia 76ers. And I don't know right now what mind state or or mental makeup, uh, you know, Ben Simmons is in. So I don't know if that trade is happening. I think Ben Simmons probably stays a Philadelphia 76er through this year. But if you're a Bulls fan and you're looking around, this team should be respected. They, they should be applauded. You should be confident in them. But at the same time, you should be very worried if that makes any sense, right? Because when they're whole, when Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball in that backcourt and Zach and DeMar are doing their thing and Vooch is, is picking and popping or getting the ball down low or finding people because he's a damn good passer, it feels like you, you're riding high. You get a nine-game win streak out of it. But when they're not there and they're not whole and they're, they're scattering around trying to figure out rotations and lineups and defensive coverages and schemes, um, it's a testament to Billy Donovan, I think, as a coach and this roster as a whole. And, of course, our tourist car to show us and Mark Eversley for finding guys like Javante Green and Derek Jones Jr. and Tyler Cook and all Matt Thomas and all these other cats. But it's a weird time right now in the Eastern Conference. You know, one through six think they could come out of the East. And everybody's been screaming for parity for a long time. And, you know, the, the interest level that, that, that the NBA should have or could have if more teams were in it. Well, Bulls fans, uh, parity showed up right when y'all got good. <laughs> and now you're sitting in the cut thinking, okay, we can't stop anybody, but we got Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, which if you want to be comfortable with that, cool. There's some other teams who have offensive firepower as well. But I'll continue to say it until this team defensively, and I'm talking about the top three players on this team, the three highest paid dudes, until a, a concerted effort is made on the defensive end by those guys relying on Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso to do everything for you. Some t- at some point, it's going to break down in the playoffs, too. Right, You need five people to play defense, and those are just two. They're two damn good ones, but you got to rely on the rest of the guys. And I still think this team is still trying to make that transformation into understanding what it needs to do defensively to win ballgames. But until then, you'll have some 40-point nights by DeMar. You'll have some exciting plays by Io and Zach and Vooch. But as we start to kind of recalibrate this thing, the Cleveland Cavaliers went out there and made a big, big swing. And now the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers will answer. I just wonder if the Bulls have an answer and what they're going to answer with. Time for some commercials. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, 
Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah, Devon, dude, this is, um, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a minute now. I, you know what's so crazy, Dan, is uh, <laughs> there's like a whole bunch of NBA people right? That, that you follow and that you forget that you're following, that you remember that you follow them and their content is fire. I was, I was looking up one of your pieces and I'm like, wait a minute, it works for the ringer. I forgot. We can talk to him. You know what I mean? Like, every, like I keep, I keep forgetting the scope of the ringer, right? It's right, only, right, right. you know, it's only been, I don't know, what was it, uh, was it four months, five months or something like that? So I keep forgetting the scope of this thing. And we are, we are blessed and, and honored by the presence of one Dan Devine joining us here on the Full Go podcast. Dan, I just did a game where the Bulls gave up 119 points, like, you know, per usual over the last 10, 11 games or so. But during that game, during that game, Kendall Gill and Will Purdue and all, I look, we look at our phones and we go, uh-oh, the Cleveland Cavaliers just did some shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, 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 they not only are going to throw seven, three seven-footers at you, and a, and a young defender in Isaac Okoro. They have they have uh, seemingly moved on from the Colin Sexton situation. We know he's hurt, and we know he's still you know he's still they still have his rights. But Darius Garland is the future in that backcourt. And all of a sudden, the dude who dropped forty on the Bulls the other night in Karis Levert is a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. A couple of weeks ago on this pod, I was like, don't be surprised if this Cleveland team jump is up, jumps up to that number one position because they were trying to win every game. Two, they don't know that they shouldn't win every game. And three, right. they, their identity is as, a, as much a part of them defensively. Like, if you would look to, to kind of paint a team's profile, right? The Philadelphia 76ers, you know it's Embiid. The Brooklyn Nets, you don't know what you're going to get night to night. Right? right, the Milwaukee Bucks, when they're healthy, you know that's the reigning champs. But the Cavs are right there in terms of their profile being defense. And now to add a score like Karis Levert, this is going to be real hairy in the Eastern Conference. One through six think they can win the East. Absolutely. I mean, Cleveland looks at it like it's not just house money anymore because they know they're good. Like they just smacked around the Bucks with their big three at the crib. Like they know they're good enough to go toe to toe with everybody. And they got the benefit of knowing like they got their hardest stuff out of the way early. Their West Coast road swings like there's some a lot of their toughest games are already in the rear view. Um, looking at Tankathon right now, they have the remaining schedule strength. Cavs have, it looks like, the third or fourth easiest schedule on the way home in the East. So they're looking at it and saying, we need to turn what we've got, like, our extra stuff right now, which was the exp- expiring contract of Ricky Rubio. Unfortunately, he's injured out for the season, but they're like, that's 13 or about $18 million in dead money. That draft picks, we got to turn that into something that helps us go. And Karis LeVert very well might be that. They, they've needed another ball handler. Uh, without Rubio, without Sexton. They need another guy who can penetrate, get downhill, get to the rack, uh, a guy who can put up a crooked number on you in a hurry if he's on, if he's feeling it that night. Um, and he really adds a, a dimension there. I'm going to be really interested, though. You mentioned like they got the, the defensive mindset. They've got a Coro. 
do they mess up their starting five to put sex to to put Karis LeVert into it, or is he does he become like their Manu, their sixth man spark plug kind of score? They run the offense through him. I'm kind of interested to see how they figure it out on the fly, but uh, certainly another weapon for them as they try to figure it out moving forward in the East. Yeah, and and that's a team too where uh, you know shooting the Dean Wade. Like, and I love, by the way, that there's a dude named Dean Wade because the first time the Bulls played them and Dean Wade was on the court and all I heard was the D part. I'm like, ain't this a bitch? Dwayne then came out and went back to Cleveland? Like, but Dean Wade is their shooter, right? And Darius Garland, who has become a pick and roll maestro and one of the best isolation, well, one of the more fun isolation players to watch. Is this, a, is this the case of a team not being ready for prime time yet, even though Kobe Altman and that front office think they are? I mean, I think you, you with especially with so many young guys, you got to see them do it to believe it, right? You got to see them do it, you know, when the lights are the brightest, when the popcorn's popping in the playoffs, April, May, June. But what we've seen from them so far, like there's nothing about the pieces that don't fit. Um, they run everything off of that high pick and roll with Garland and either Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. Uh, Mobley's, Mo, no, Mobley doesn't, isn't necessarily the, the same kind of shooter or stretch guy you might want or like spotting up around that, but he makes plays. He connects the two sides of the floor for them so well. And you know that defense is going to give them a chance every night. So it's a matter of, do they have enough shooting with, you know, Lowry Markinen obviously being in Chicago, you've seen him, his highs and his lows and the inconsistency of him when he's, when he's firing it and when he's able to space the floor for them, Dean Wade is as well, Kevin Love off the bench having a resurgent year. They have they have the room to give Garland to get downhill, but they're asking so much of him, so much of the you know, such a heavy minutes load, such a heavy shot creation load. It's can they score enough points against locked in playoff defenses? Uh, you know when it counts, and so I think that's the big question, and that is the question they hope Levert helps them answer. Um, but you know, I believe that defense is for, is real. I believe that you know the fundamentals of that are solid. Um, and I think they're looking at it like, you know, as you said, one through six, everybody's thinking, why not us? It's not like there's a boogeyman in the closet you're scared of because you've, you've seen these, you know, Brooklyn fall apart. You don't know what you're getting from them. You've seen all these teams that look great on paper have their warts too. So then it's, if you, can you do something to put yourself over the top, whether Levert is that for Cleveland, I'm a little bit skeptical that he's like the over the top piece, but he certainly doesn't hurt as another weapon to have around. Uh, get ready, man, because Detroit's putting together something, Orlando's putting together something, and of course, Charlotte with LaMelo Ball. There are going to be people who want to go play with him in Charlotte no matter what. So it's uh, the Eastern Conference is kind of flipping on us a little bit here, and you know all those years of the West dominating, of course, the West is still going to you know, provide the sun and the fun. A lot of people are going to want to go play in L.A. A lot of people are going to want to go play in the Bay still. But yeah, the and Phoenix, of course, is, is a terrific destination now. But that, uh, that, that Eastern Conference, let's get nasty. Ben Simmons, James Harden, all the names that are being bandied about. I'm sure all the things that you have to write about and the content that you is spilling out of your head the moment you wake up in the morning. You got about five, six days to the trade deadline. Let's get, let's get crazy with it. Ben Simmons, is he a Philadelphia? Well, he's not a Philadelphia 76er now, but is he a Philadelphia 76er by the time this trade deadline is over? I mean, he's, he's one in name, if not in spirit, right? right? right. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think, I, I think he is. I, I don't think it's getting done by Thursday. I think uh, the the new the report on Friday from Sham Sharani at The Athletic that like the, the, the Sixers are going for it with Harden. They're trying to make it happen. That feels like kind of rattling cages. Like, hey, everybody, get your best offers on the table. Let's let, let's see what happens these next four or five days. I would be really surprised if given everything that's up in the air in Brooklyn and if you're able to, it, yeah, I understand the argument for if Harden's not happy there or if they're not happy with Harden or yada, yada, yada. 
but he's also like the only dude you know you can pretty much count on. I mean, he's missed more games since he's been in Brooklyn than he did in like a decade in Houston. But I mean, one guy's missing games on purpose and the other guy and, and Kevin Durant is like, you know, he, he's, he's phenomenal when he's there, but he's also dealing with an MCL sprain and who knows how, how long it's going to take him to get back and back to full form. So the idea of them moving off Harden now, Steve Nash today, no uncertain term said like, we, we are not trading James Harden of, you know, call me in two days and see what they, what the answer is at that point. But, but I think the, the, the idea that Brooklyn is going to feel compelled to get off Harden and that's going to make the Simmons trade happen. I don't see that. So unless it's another hard, another Simmons suitor, whether that was Sacramento getting back into it or, you know, and that's one of the things that's hard for them is, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was, is Cleveland going to get involved? Is Minnesota going to get involved? They got no reason to. Those are playoff teams now. Like, they're, they're, they don't need Ben Simmons to come over the top and, and lift up their defense because their defenses are already really damn good and they've got playmaking. So um, the, finding the team that's willing to give, put everything on the table for it, I don't know. It's gonna, I, I'm betting he's there and there is a lot of disgruntled people, even more so than usual, in Philadelphia uh, come Friday morning in that situation. The Miami Heat are, as we are taping this, are sitting atop the Eastern Conference by a half game over the Chicago Bulls. Bulls lose to the 76ers, which uh, ostensibly sends Eric Spolstra and his crew to the All-Star game. So, you know, we were talking about it on the pregame show that Billy Donovan's wife, you know, Cabo or Cleveland, she was out here rooting <laughs> for Joel Embiid tonight, for sure. Uh, <laughs> the Miami Heat, uh, Bam Adebayo misses that stretch with the thumb uh, There's a veteran-laden team. they got a couple of young players who come off the bench, and Tyler Hero is having the season that we thought he would have maybe last year after his bubble fame. Uh, Jimmy Butler, I, you know, I'm a fan of his work ethic. I'm a fan of, of his talent level, but I always feel like Jimmy Butler, if he's your best player, is just good enough to get you beat. Now, the bubble was a different situation. You go there, and you go up against a Lakers squad that was more talented than Anthony Davis, LeBron James. I wasn't surprised at that outcome what makes the Miami Heat different, if at all, this year? The way I always think about Jimmy Butler, maybe this is a disservice to Jimmy Butler, is that he's maybe 90% of Kawhi Leonard. It's kind of the way I think about Jimmy Butler in terms of what his game is, what he provides. Obviously, different temperamentally, um, (laughs) different in terms of coffee. Just a little bit. A little bit different. But if that, you know, you, you're building off of a player who is going to lock up an opponent team's be- opposing team's best player and can be your sort of pick and roll mainstay, getting to the mid range, getting to the cup late in the game. Well, now he's got the guy that helped Kawhi Leonard get over the top in Kyle Lowry, where you had another guy who you can you can rely on, uh, not just space the floor, not just knock down big shots, but also a dog who can defend at the point of attack and keep the offense running, keep everybody fed. Um, you, when you have the healthy version of that team, um, you know, Bam is a defensive player of the year caliber, you know, all over the court, you know, one through five, he'll, you know, he'll go out and he'll lock you up on the perimeter too. Um, PJ Tucker, we saw what he can do as a, uh, sort of a off the ball defender, a helpful, a helpful player in Milwaukee last season, uh, was really a key piece for them, even though he wasn't scoring the ball. And then Eric Spolster's capacity to like, just turn the guys that everybody else picked over into a reliable rotation. You know, we saw that, you know, uh, Omer Yurtsevin, I bet you didn't think that name was coming out tonight. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Max, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, these guys that come through their, through their G League system, through the, two, the, the two-way contracts, they find players and say, we're not going to worry about what you can't do. Caleb Barton, you washed out of Charlotte. No one picked you up. You're going to come in here. You're going to average like 13 and five for us and shoot 50% from three because we know what to do with you. So there's this like problem-solving component in terms of what Spolster can do. The way Lowry can get people organized and the, what they can do and throwing Bam and Jimmy at people defensively and they switch everything with Tucker. 
I mean, that's a that's a playoff built team. That is going to be nasty come the postseason, provided the older guys on that roster are able to stay healthy. I mean, that's going to be a, a no picnic for anybody when you go out to de- deal with them for seven games. You brought up James Harden and Kyrie Irving choosing not to take the shot, so only being able to play in road games. Of course, Kevin Durant's MCL. And again, today I talked with Kendall Gill and Will Purdue about it, and I said, hey, seven-game series, I'm still worried about three Hall of Famers being on the court at the same time for a majority of the series and then you having to beat them three or four times. Do they have enough around them to run through the East? Well, I think that's the, I mean, it's like sort of low key, the biggest discussion point for the Nets in the last week or so is like Joe Harris might not be coming back. And Joe Harris is not a name that uh, he, he could walk around Brooklyn and outside of being tall, no one would, would notice that he was uh, anybody that shouldn't just be walking around the streets of Brooklyn. Um, but he, uh, the way that he's able to, to create defensive or generate, uh, draw defensive attention off his movement, you know. Uh, it's it not it's not the same gravity as someone like Steph or somebody like Reggie Miller was, but the idea of this guy's never stopping moving and you got to keep a body on him because if you give him a sliver of daylight, he gets the ball, he's rising and firing. Um, that removing that and removing the actual the ability to make those shots, they just don't have a lot of shooting. It's weird to say that about a team that has Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, James Harden, but there's not like once you get past. Uh, um, Patty Mills, maybe. Pa- yes, once you get past Patty Mills, thank you. Uh, there's not a lot of reliable knockdown shooting on the team. So not having Harris to draw that attention, to be able to take advantage of all the attention that the big three draws and to knock down those shots that they create, it, it's, it's sort of sneakily a really big piece. He was maybe their fourth or fifth most important player and they might not have him. You know, his, his ankle, you know, there, there's questions about is he, is he going to need another procedure? If you Even if you do get him back late in the season, he's missed almost the entirety of it. How quickly is he going to be able to ramp up and get back up to speed? And then you're relying on him for big minutes. We saw that in the playoffs last year with Steve Nash going long on his players. Like He's not going deep into the bench when the games matter. He's riding those guys for big minutes. So if you have questions about James Harden's hamstring and Kevin Durant's knee, and you might only have Kyrie Irving for half the series— and your fourth best player is not there or is only there in a limited fashion, suddenly you're relying on you know an awful lot on Patty Mills, an awful lot on Blake Griffin, an awful lot on like young guys in situations or, or guys who are maybe past their prime. It's difficult to know exactly how much you can bank on that. So I, if, I, if I'm Brooklyn heading into this week, I'm looking at it and saying, how can we improve around those guys? What can I add at the deadline around those guys? But given how, how much they've already given up to make this team, that's going to be a really difficult thing for Sean Marks to be able to do. You know, I always proceed with caution whenever I ha- I, you know, I'm asking uh, national guys and gals to talk about local things, right? Because you know, you, you, you're you going to get the, oh, this guy didn't watch all 53 games of the Bulls. You don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so so uh, walk me through your feelings uh, about the Chicago Bulls. Obviously, injury depleted for most of this year. Uh, the health and safety protocols have hit everybody from the coaching staff, just like it's hit the rest of the league, but it, probably with more man games missed, I have to look that stat up. But, you know, Zach Levine's been in and out of the lineup over the last couple of weeks. Of course, Kobe White, as soon as he starts to get it going a little bit, he's down with an injury or health and safety protocols, the need for Lonzo, everything for Alex Caruso. He's He's gone through it. They're counting on guys like Javante Green and Malcolm Hill uh, in, in big moments. Matt Thomas was getting shots up tonight. Uh, this Bulls team, where did you think they would be? Where are they now? And where do you think they'll end up? Well, it's funny because I feel like the team that they are now, and you could see it in the game against Philly where it's like, this offense is going to cook, even if it doesn't have all the pieces together. There's enough pieces to cook. The question that everybody had coming into October was, 
will you get enough stops? And I think that was the big thing. I was looking this up before we got on because I'm that guy who didn't watch all 53. So I wanted to do a little <laughs> bit of research. E- entering Christmas, this is all from cleaning the glass. Entering Christmas, the Bulls were 10th in defensive rating. Since Christmas, 25th. The last nine games, so that's without Lonzo and Caruso, 27th. And then this was a, a, a little bit of a wild one. The Sixers today uh, in this game, their offensive rating was 128. The best in the league for the full season is a little under 117. So Jeez. basically the Bulls have been, so the ladies last like nine, 10 games, and especially against Embiid today, that they're basically allowing other teams to score like the best offense in the NBA every night. And there's obviously a lot of reasons for that. Number one is that you don't have your two dogs at the top of the court in Lonzo and Caruso who stop the ball at the point of attack, who are so good off the ball as help defenders. You can guard you know, one through four with all of them. They're disruptive. They create turnovers. They fuel that, that uh, transition game. So when you don't have those guys, it means you got to kind of play a lot softer coverage. And all of a sudden you got everybody just ramming right at uh, uh, Nikola Vucevic down in the, in the paint. And He's not a shot blocker. He's a guy who can you know, create some steals, get his hands on stuff, but it's a, it's a, a tough way to win. And so you got to have DeMar DeRozan standing on his head and, you know, flirting with damn near 50, which he can do. And he's been showing that like on some of the toughest shots you can take. But even if you're shooting 60% on some of the toughest shots you can take, and most of them are coming from the elbows and in, you ain't getting the extra point on those. And then that makes it tough when the other guys are knocking them down. So all that said, the, B, the big question for the Bulls is going to be, can they get enough stops for that offense to hold up? And when they were doing that early in the season, they looked like maybe the best team in the Eastern Conference. And when they don't get that over the last 15, 20 games, then they're a very good team that needs some miracles on some nights. And that's tough to rely on when you get down to April, May, June. Yeah. And now we're talking about Patrick Williams maybe coming back uh, a little bit earlier than people thought he would and from that broken wrist and he's you know he's a guy who has shown in his first couple of years he needs to be nudged a little bit on the offensive end he doesn't understand his offensive talent and the aggression level that he should have but defensively he's a guy who's ready to do that right now and as you mentioned no Caruso no ball they're one of the worst point of attack defenses in the game right now they can't handle the pick and roll on any kind of movement and on top of it they play a drop defense because they're worried about Vooch being able to show and get back because of his lack of foot speed so yeah, the, un, unfortunately, and I, I always hearken back to Larry Brown, Flip Saunders with the Detroit Pistons. At, at some point, your, your your philosophy changes where you go from a next stop team to a next shot team. And I think the Bulls with these injuries have kind of morphed into understanding, OK, we can get the next shot, though. We can we can we can score with anybody. And that's not going to bode well, especially like you mentioned, when you got teams who are taking the ample amount of three pointers and the, the, the disparity at the three point line that the Bulls have to face every single night. But the one thing about that, though, is even as I'm watching, you mentioned Matt Thomas getting shots up today because I've been taking notes as I'm watching the game, knowing I'm talking to you. And I'm thinking, like, if he gets you know, if whoever is taking those shots in those minutes, if it's not Matt Thomas, would it be nice if it was Zach Levine? But, you know, right. uh, <laughs> if it was Kobe White, you know, a couple of those go down and we're talking about a very different ball game. So the, the offense is still generating those shots. And the idealized version of this team has, you know, tough shot makers on a higher level than the guys they're having to rely on right now. So I think the 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 optimist, the glass half full view is they're hanging with the team and, and you know, the Sixers are damn good and Embiid is playing out of his mind for the last two months, maybe like the MVP of the league, maybe the last two months. And they're right there in the final minute, despite not having half their rotation, including some of their heaviest hitters. So I think you still have to feel really good about what is there and what's available. 
and the idea that you've already shown the first few couple of months of the season, there's more, there's a recipe here for a really good team that doesn't necessarily require DeMar DeRozan to be, you know, uh, wreathed in flames every night. Um, but when you get that, it gives you a chance to beat anybody in the league. Who's the biggest surprise right now in the Eastern Conference, whether it be negatively or positively for you? I think Cleveland, I mean, we talked about them a lot. I mean, that the, I had no idea that they would be, they, they've already beaten their over-under number by whatever, 55 games in or whatever. They've just been remarkable. It's it's absolutely wild to me. Uh, and the disappointment, I mean, I'm, I'm here in, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. I, I, I could say the Nets gave based on the way everything unfolded. Um, the, the fact that the Knicks have been, mm. hmm, I expected them to be a little bit worse this year than last year. I was like, yeah. I don't think you're going to get the Randall season you got last year. I don't know. You're going to get the, like the Rose half season over the full season. And obviously Rose has been injured. So that uh, interrupted that, you know, are they going to get the same kind of three point shooting luck on defense where they're going to be a top five defense again? I don't know, but I expected it to kind of come together a little better than this. They're, they're around where I thought they would be, but the way they've arrived there yeah. has been a disappointment. It's been weird. Where you, when they were, you know, first couple of weeks of the season, they're flying high. Obviously, you know, Bing Bong ruined everybody's life. And, <laughs> uh, and then, but then since then, it's, it's, yo, it's wild. That was the highlight of their season was opening night outside the arena, man. That was one night. And then since then, it's like, you know, um, so I, I'd say the, the way things have kind of, they've been so rickety and so up and down and the way that Randall has kind of dipped, I expected him to fall off a little bit, but it's, the, the vibes are not good around that right now. So I think that's been my biggest disappointment. But if we're talking on the positive side, I don't know how you could go anywhere else but Cleveland because I don't know that, I don't even know if any, anybody in that locker room saw that coming, let alone anybody outside that locker room. The Atlanta Hawks got the coach bump, right? And they get themselves into the playoffs and then the season happens where <laughs> John Collins gets his money, it's Atlanta, you know, things, you know, you have to be the event in Atlanta for people to come out. And I'm looking at them right now, two games under 500. They've, you know, they've, they've gone on their runs for you know weeks at a time. But for the most part, did you expect to see this, this fallback for the Atlanta Hawks? I didn't. I, I honestly, I thought that the, like the things that made them special last year when they got going in the second half, I thought that all made sense and, and would kind of carry over the issue with them, you know, as it was, has been with a few of these teams is they're not. The, the the defensive uh the ability to get stops you know you weren't getting all defense level stuff from Clint Capella not having DeAndre Hunter for most of the season really hurt them and then there's point. that question of like and you know uh, Onyeka Okongwu there's their backup center he was gone for a while so it's like some of these young guys that covered a lot of ground for them and, and handled a few different roles were not available and then they bring everybody back you you know everybody's feeling good everybody gets paid everybody gets an opportunity but now you got too many mouths to feed, right? And so you mentioned the coach bump they got last year. They kind of got the addition by subtraction bump by moving off Cam Reddish, who no nobody uh, argues Cam Reddish's talent, but he was getting, you know, 25 minutes a game, 10, 12 shots a game, not making a ton of them, and then giving play plays back on the defensive end. You remove a player like that, even though he's so talented, it creates more opportunities for other guys. It let them, when uh, DeAndre Hunter got back into the lineup, don't worry about your minutes and we know you're going to guard. And so if you're going to guard, you're going to play minutes and you're going to get shots because Trey Young is going to find you. And their lineup starts to make a little more sense, right? The rotation kind of locks in a little bit better. And then you remember, oh, by the way, when they got on their run last year, uh, Cam Reddish was out of the lineup. Cam Reddish was hurt. And so it's like, okay, yeah, he came back and he had some flashes in the playoffs, but maybe that was a case of addition by subtraction a little bit, and they were able to lock a little bit more into what their rotation needs to look like. Some more defensive-minded guys in there, Trey Young still stirring the drink. 
And I think that they're maybe a little bit closer now to the formula that they had going back last year. They still got a long way to go. They dug themselves a big hole to get out of. But I think they were a big disappointment for the first half of the season. And I think they're kind of starting to figure it out. You know, the West kind of seems now like the East used to seem where it's like, all right, there's one or two teams and everybody else is playing for second place. When LeBron was running things in Cleveland and Miami, now you look at the West, it's Golden State, it's Phoenix, and the the Memphis Grizzlies, their profile to me is outstanding. I love watching them. They're, they're, they're angry. They're fast. They're athletic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, you know, they got Dylan Brooks. It's just like Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain. It's just kind of like just two dudes. You're like, all right, we're going to knock down jumpers and punch you in your mouth and ask you how you like it. And John Morant <laughs> is, is you know, gleaming the cube to, to, to use an 80s reference out here. Um, do you think the Memphis Grizzlies are going to shock anybody or are they going to take that step that the young team is supposed to take before their real ascension begins? Well, I think, you know, I think your your point of is well taken where they, you know, it's, you, know you, you learn in stages in the NBA. And I think the advantage that they have is it's not that they're going from zero to 60. They made the play in two years ago, then they, then they lost in the play in. They, they won the play in last year and got into a first round series and they got you know, drummed out in five by the first seeded Jazz, but they were there and they, and they know what that feels like now. And you're, it's not just, they're, they're actually kind of like the opposite of what I was talking about with Atlanta, where there was too many dudes there and maybe they needed to remove one. With Memphis, it's just like they go like one through 15, all dudes who can play. Everybody knows the pecking order that it starts with Jai, goes with Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe make, you know, making himself an all defensive caliber candidate this year. Desmond Bain taking a step forward, maybe most improved player. But no matter who they do, they do or don't have, they went 10 and 2 when Ja went down. Like they, the, who they don't have. All right, John Conchar is going to come in here and play a little bit. You know, Killian Tilly is going to come in here and, you know, drive the baseline and dunk on people. They, all these guys, they, they, you know, Tyus Jones. Never, you know, have like 11 to one turnover ratio, never coughs the ball up. All these guys, they know where their bread's buttered. They know what, the, what their role is and they know how to play. And if they need to step into a larger one, they can. So I feel like it's not so much young, I mean, young teams have to sort of, uh, you know, get humbled and earn that. I think they've kind of gone through a little bit of that already. Now, the question is, are they feeling themselves a little bit too much right now? Because at, you ask anybody around the league who talks the most junk in the league, it's the Grizzlies by, you know, by head, head and shoulders. <laughs> and now, granted, well-deserved. You should be feeling yourself when they're playing the way they are, but they have catapulted themselves into third in the West. They've gone and they've gone toe-to-toe with the Warriors, with Stephen Draymond. They've gone and they've beaten Phoenix in Phoenix. They know what it takes in these games. I don't think that they're in a situation where it's like, they're going to get game planned against and they're not going to know what they're doing and they're going to get humbled. I think they might get beaten by a really good team, but I would not at all be surprised if they were in the conference finals with a chance to go to go all the way here because the talent, the depth, the balance is really come along with them. If you can be a top five caliber defense with John Moran on the floor and you get you're getting what you get out of him in terms of his shot creation, the, the sky's the limit for that team both now and in the future. Yeah, I, I watched that Lakers-Knicks game uh, last night, and I sat back and said to myself, LeBron James is doing this in year 19. He's got his man Anthony Davis back. Anthony, over those last five games, have been outstanding, right? And and Malik Monk is looking like the best, you know, $2 million player of all time. And <laughs> as as the game was wrapping up, I said to myself, 
Sucks for them because they ain't winning anything. They're not going to go far in the playoffs. They're, they're too old. They can't defend. Russell Westbrook's far too important. Frank Vogel's getting all the blame thrown on him. Like it's it, it's getting to that weird territory at the end of LeBron runs, where whether it be Miami or Cleveland, you know things they don't kind of just nestle into a bad place. They torpedo into a bad place for whatever reason. I'm not putting it on him, but this 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 is um a failure. To be honest with you, and I understand that Anthony's been hurt, and I understand that, you know, Russell's been bad, but the Los Angeles Lakers struggling for the first half the way they did, because the first half is what stuck out to me more than anything. They just they just out-talented the Knicks in the second half, but the first half where they can't defend anybody, and they're too reliant this early in the season on a guy who's 37 years old. Um, it's, it, how is this Lakers thing going to end? Well, you know, you, you threw an 80s reference at me earlier. I'll respond with one from Cocktail. Things end badly, otherwise they wouldn't end. And I think the idea is, like, we we went into last postseason thinking, well, the last time we saw healthy LeBron and healthy AD, they, were, they won the, the chip. And so I'm not betting against them until I see it. And then they got beat. And now, granted, both LeBron and AD were, were banged up in that series, but they got beat by a better team. They come back this year. They traded half their, their rotation. All Pretty much everybody who plays defense on that team but AD, they moved on from them. And the answer, it was just like, well, we'll talent it out. We'll figure it out. And the that has not come to pass here. So I think the 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 issue, and you, know, you, you bring up the end of the Cleveland run there. When you were in that like last half season in Cleveland, they turned over everything, right? The, the deadline, it was like six trades. They got a whole new rotation in there, moved out Isaiah Thomas, moved in Jordan Clarkson, you, you know, j- jumbled up everything. And that set the tone for them to be able to make a, a big run with LeBron playing, you know, 70 minutes a game and taking 80 shots um, to get to the finals and then get smoked. But like they were, they were able to make it there. But the the raw materials, the resources to make those deals are just not available in L.A. anymore, in part because of the Russell Westbrook trade, in part because of the Anthony Davis trade. Obviously, you never have to say you're sorry for the A.D. trade because it won you a title. But now you look at it and it's like they are trying to sell the rest of the league on Talon Horton Tucker and a 2027 first round pick, solve our problems with that. And I think the rest of the league is going like, I watch these games and I saw Talon Horton Tucker shoot 25 percent from three and not really stop many people and dribble the ball off his foot and stuff. Like I see these games too. And 2027 first round pick. Yeah. Maybe that's worth something. Maybe it's not because you're the Lakers and you reload whenever you get a chance to. So what am I, I'm not giving you like a rotation for that package. So if that's not going to get you anywhere and you're not going to find takers for Westbrook and you're not trading LeBron or AD, like I kind of don't know what you're doing to get something in here that can create that mid season momentum and overhaul. The best you can hope for is now, you know, LeBron continues to sort of play the way he's been playing. AD, obviously, as you said, since he's come back, has been, uh, you know, a house of fire. And like that, those two guys, that was the whole idea. This is the team, these three guys and everything else around them is details. So if you can get those two guys playing the way they were in the bubble, that level, and then Russ has been a second half of the season player the last couple of seasons, figures it out in Houston, figures it out in Washington. The hope is that that's enough. I think when you're hoping for something like that, you know, my dad was a New York City cop and he used to say, you shit in one hand and you hope in the other and you see which one fills up first. <laughs> and I don't know if the hope is going to fill up the way that they're looking for in L.A. at this point. 
Speaking of hoping and unloading talent, your last piece you wrote about. By the way, I love the fact that the <laughs> the Portland Trailblazers essentially traded Eric Bledsoe for like two first round picks, Gary Trent, and, and, and you know what I mean. Like it's if you brutal. Look at what, the, the, the full circle of what Portland tried to do from a few years ago till now, it is um it, it's tough, and and there's being pressure put on the ownership group to sell. Uh, moving on, is, is there a team or a couple of teams out there who all right, this thing is over. It's time for us to start rebuilding in an NBA that isn't very forgiving to rebuilding teams. So Portland, I'm going to be really fascinated to see what their next step is because moving on from Norm Powell and Robert Covington is it signals a start of moving on, but they've already they've said we you know we're we're going to retool around Dame. So, but that was all Joe Cronin said. We're retooling around Dame and we're and we're giving Anthony Simons a runway. I didn't hear the name C.J. McCollum in that context. I did not hear the name Yusuf Nurkic in that context. So are those guys available? And if they are, those could be meaningful pieces for teams over these next four days. So I think there's going to be how far they're willing to go down is interesting to me. On the eastern side, I think the, the Levert deal, the guy you mentioned earlier, the Karis Levert going to Cleveland, that's interesting to me because if you're, is that just like a stopgap starting point kind of move? Or is that Indiana's fully open for business and we are finally going to, we're going to break that log jam of Turner and Sabonis. And then if so, who's really in on them? Because Turner being hurt, you know, with the, with the foot injury, seven footers and feet, always a danger, but a, a, a comparatively low usage, big man who blocks shots like nobody's business and stretches the floor. That guy's got a lot of value to a lot of different kinds of teams, but is that all Miles Turner thinks he can be? I don't think so. I think Miles Turner believes he can be a guy you dump the ball down to, you get him 20 touches, he's going to do something with it. So where, where uh, sort of um, uh, the, the imagination meets reality and who's willing to pay for that is going to be really interesting to me. And Sabonis, Sabonis might be the best player anybody can get this deadline, but is it going to be, it almost feels underwhelming the idea of like there's been reporting about Washington looking at him is him and Bradley Beal getting you much anywhere in the East? I don't know. In the East, this good? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. So where where Indiana sees itself, they know this is obviously a franchise. They never want to bottom out. Herb Simon wants to be competitive every year. He believes he owes that to the fan base. Also, he knows that if he could turn it to a, to a team that nobody wants to watch, it's going to be curtains for them out there. It's, 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 a, it's a tough time in Indianapolis. So... I think they're a team to really watch. Is this the start of something or are they going to be sort of slow playing middle ground? Dan Devine joining us here on the Full Goal Podcast. Before we let you go here, how'd this, how'd this start for you, man? Like, wh- when did you know that this was going to be your lot in life? Oh, my God. I didn't. I mean, I'm still not sure. What'd you heard? <laughs> I was about to say, I'll tell you in a week or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, like, listen, I, so I was working at a, a small a small community newspaper in Boston. Uh, you, This is the truth. It's the, uh, you can look up the bylines. The Bay State Banner, Boston's longest-running African-American weekly. And I was the, like, answering the phones and, right, you know, like, working on the copy desk at that newspaper. Hold on. The longest-running the longest African-American weekly in Boston. So, was that, like, three months? No, 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 no. The long, <laughs> it is 1965, I think. I believe. Oh, 1965. Really? Oh, okay. 
Shout out to Boston for being blacker than I thought it was. Well, listen, yeah, you, got, you, you got to get that to Roxbury and Dorchester, but yes. <laughs> Shout out to Ed OG and the Bulldogs, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. Shout out to Bell, 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 Bell Biv DeVoe and the whole team. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I, I was fr- looking at freelance. I was like, I was getting into like the basketball internet and there were these people doing podcasts. There was people, people writing blogs, people trying to figure out how to get into like a main, on a mainstream angle. And I like reached out to the uh, guy I knew at Yahoo and was like, I'll, if I go to the Hall of Fame and write something up for you, could I get on? Uh, you know, like you take a look at, you know, like, uh, it was a Michael Jordan Hall of Fame exhibit. And I was like, if I write, you go and I sort of interview people, I write this up, brand new exhibit, give it to you on the arm. You want to run it? You can run it. If you don't, you know, that's fine. But like, give me a shot. And he went and he said, all right, you can do work for free. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> And I filed it with him and he liked it. And then it was like, that turned into, all right, you can do another post. You can do another post. And then like three and a half years and three editors later, I wound up getting a job at Yahoo. And then six and a half years later, I wound up getting a job here. And I'm like, I don't know how long, you know, like every day, you got to kind of sing for your supper every day. There's so many talented people doing this. So many talented people writing, so many talented people doing podcasts, making videos, breaking things down in a lot of ways. Um, I'm just trying to stay one step ahead of that if I can, uh, and, and, you know, keep it up. But it's been literally yeah, 2009 was that first freelance piece. And, uh, I want to say, I don't forget somewhere in the middle there, y'all were, you were in Atlanta and I talked to you at that point. Yeah, man. And so it's, it's wild. The, 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 the way these things, the timelines kind of come together, but, uh, the same way, you know, you're, you're just trying, trying to grind with it and stay ahead. I'm trying to do the same. That's it, baby. That's it, man. Just just dudes who love basketball trying to figure out who wants to hear or read them love basketball. It's as simple as that. Amen. Dan Devine from The Ringer. And of course, you can check out his content at TheRinger.com. We're going to have Dan on this podcast as much as possible because I, I shit you not. I read Dan and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I kind of work with this dude now. We're under the same roof. Yeah, we should talk. Yes, as long as we possibly can, man. Dan, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you. We got to do this again soon. Uh, my pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Connect with the show 24-7 on the Full Gold voicemail line. Hit us up at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. It is the Full Gold Podcast with Jason Goff. I am Chris Tannehill, the producer, one of the many great producers of this whole thing here, along with Jesse Lopez <laughs> and Steve Cerruti, who is the League of Shadows. And uh, we're going to open up the voicemails here. We've got one call, but it's about a topic that we didn't really discuss 
much this week. And I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'll let you talk about that after we mm-hmm. call from uh, one of our old friends here. Jay and Chris, uh, Mark in Litchfield Park. Calling about the Rocky Worth fiasco last week. Uh, you guys didn't cover it, or maybe I didn't hear it, but uh, this whole mess and this guy has just made himself look guilty, so damn guilty that he knew all along. Um, if that's not true, he didn't make, he didn't do himself any favors by behaving the way that he did. And man, does this smell like he was channeling his dad? You know, just pure stupid. I mean, just utter stupidity. I, I don't understand why he blew up like that, but, uh, there it is. Welcome to Chicago sports. Uh, seems like shit never changes. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the call, Mark. You know, when I saw his response to Mark Lazarus and Phil Thompson, uh, and I don't know, do we do we have it? Will the Blackhawks do to empower a player in a similar situation to make sure that doesn't happen again? I'm going to answer the question at okay. the end. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here, and we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. Now, what's your next question? I can pick up to what we are doing today. And I think no, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. During the Jenner and Block briefing, uh, you guys talked about a change in culture and transparency and demonstrating the, the, the new culture and values um, that are going to protect players and protect the organization uh, in the future. And it seems like the, the second that we asked a question about that, um, it, it's, it's met with resistance. So I'm going to ask it again. I answered it. No, I don't. I, I answered it. And I told you to get off the subject. You didn't I'm not gonna, you we're not going to bring up the report. No, you I'm, read I, it. We're not and, asking and, about the report. We're I know asking you're about talking about what the, what what the, the report new... was talking about. And I told you we're, we're moving on. Now, I don't like these. The I, I think you're out of line to ask this line future. of questions. Why don't you ask about something else? Why don't you ask about the GM? Okay, search? I will ask Why don't you about, do something else? Okay, I Why will do you ask bring about up old, old business? Some of the some of the uh, season ticket holders that I've talked to said that um, they're having trouble maintaining value on their resale because you know a lot of people. Is that paying, a fact? Are you, are you, I, I didn't I realize my, you're in our ticket part department. Okay. What come I'm on. saying is, well, come on. Could, let's if, talk about all the negative stuff. When I talk about your negative. paper and, how, people, and, what, and what the sports page looks like, should I do that? No, these are dedicated that you can't even get our elite scores? Whole, Rocky, can I finish my, my question? They say they want to uh, hold on because they value the Blackhawks, but they wanted to phrase some of the costs. You've seen that uh, attendance has been dipping. Uh, I want to ask why you think it's dipping and what can they do to maintain their value so when they renew a package, uh, they can defray some of their costs. That's a fair question. Yes, it is. So Jamie can answer that. So when I saw his response to Mark Lazarus, I was, I was worried because these teams do a great job of telling you everything that you want to hear, uh, letting you know that you know, there's nothing to worry about here. And more importantly, there's nothing to see here because the investigations have been done. We were forthright, this, that, and the other. But when you see uh, the level of downright petulance and the, the tone deaf nature, it, it kind of it kind of leads you to believe, oh yeah, this is this kind of atmosphere that's probably been bred there. And you hate to say it and you hate to believe it, but when 
guys kind of take away the benefit of the doubt. And in that moment, he not only did it once, he did it twice. He did it twice. I mean, this is one of those things where you can't say you're sorry enough to a fan base and to Kyle Beach and to survivors of uh, sexual assault. And for people out there, like, because, uh, you know, unfortunately, I saw some of the comments under uh, Mark Lazarus's pieces and tweets and also Phil Thompson's piece and tweet. Um, the people who don't believe people are survivors of sexual assault uh, or just, how would you survive? Nah, man, what you have to probably go to bed with every single night or how you probably have to move differently in relationships and have to explain certain things to people who you're close to. Uh, the mental toll, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. So for him to have that kind of outburst in that moment where it's one of those things where you have to continue to say, I'm sorry. And you have to continue to say that we are making steps or taking steps to ensure that something like this never, ever happens again in our organization. And hopefully in the NHL, you have to, that has to be the common refrain over and over and over and over again until the next time. And for whatever reason, uh, telling, anyway, telling journalists which questions to ask and more importantly, telling them to ask something else, that's just shit that is uh, uh, irresponsible. Um, it's, it's unfortunate and is downright unprofessional. And I will say this, the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, through all their tumult over the years, have always treated me terrifically. but. It doesn't matter because these things matter more than, you know, you know, treating somebody good in the media because your fan base is listening. Your fan base is, I won't say full of, but your fan base, I'm sure, has survivors of sexual assault. And if you're going to put it out there that, hey, we're done talking about it, it's it's a uh, business that's done with now. Nah, it's never done with. The education, um, the protection, uh, and, and the you know, the, the foresight that you have to see that I'm sorry, that you have to have as an organization is always omnipresent. So you can't just sit there and say, no, nah, this is over. It ain't over, Rocky. It ain't over until you get asked the next time. And it's as simple as that. Rocky Wirtz, uh did a disservice to his organization, the, the organization that he runs and owns. Um, and you, you can see it. You can see the, the apology letter being drafted while he was blowing up pretty much in real time by the powers that be. Uh, alongside him. So, yeah, it was a it was a bad moment for Rocky Wirtz. I know people are asking uh for his head figuratively uh in terms of ownership and it being done with him. I I know as you said, it sounded like Pops, sounded like uh, Dollar Bill Wirtz back in the day, but um I'm not going to put this on his dad either. I mean, this is Rocky Wirtz, the head of a very very successful organization here in the city of Chicago who put himself repeatedly in in a bad place by answering questions that I thought were not sabotage or in like weren't filled with the ambush. It was just, it was unfortunate. It was bad. It was a bad look for him. It's a bad look for the Blackhawks. And hopefully they've learned from this going forward and whatever, you know, whatever ramifications or consequences they have to suffer going forward, whether it be PR wise, whether it be ticket sales, whether it be just fan engagement. Um, I don't know if any of those things will dip, but uh, I wouldn't be mad at anybody if they stop supporting because in the end you choose your time and money to invest in things that you believe in and things that you think are on the up and up. And when they aren't, it's up to you if you want to walk away or not. So Rocky Words left, uh, left that 
question open-ended for a lot of Blackhawks fans out there. We'll see how they rebound from this. Uh, on the ice, it's been a, you know, it's been a, a bad year, but uh, off the ice, that right there um, in what has been a bad year off the ice for them, it continued it. So I'm with you, Mark. It was just a bad look. The full goal with Jason Goff. So we're taking this show on the road. Uh, Tuesday, we will be in Los Angeles from Radio Row, or I believe uh, Radio Row. I, I got to be honest with you. I haven't really, I haven't even really looked at the coordinates. Um, you know, I was on this, I was on a text chain with Ryan Shazier and James Jones, and Ryan actually sent it out tonight as we were taping. Like, so when do we have to be wherever we have to be, and where do we have to be? And I was like, you know what, Ryan, I was actually going to send that same text message. Uh, but we'll be in LA, uh, chopping it up with the uh, Super Bowl week. I've only covered one Super Bowl before in person. I covered the Phoenix Super Bowl uh, some years back. Uh, I've I've produced a whole bunch of Super Bowl radio row runs uh, over the years, being here local and terrestrial radio at the score. What, what's your I'm favorite a, moment, Jay? What's your favorite ooh. moment uh, out of producing all those Super Bowls? Obviously, the Bears being there in Miami, being able to produce broadcast when you're when the when the Bears are in the Super Bowl. That's probably second to none. But those of you who those are the fans out there who've been listening to you for a long time. I'm sure they're curious to know what are some of your favorite experiences or just interactions or people that you've met on Radio Row over the years. Every year, the last night before the guys were getting ready to come back. So every Friday or Thursday night. Well, yeah, they came back on Friday. So every Friday before the Super Bowl for years was the best time that I have because and the worst time that I had, to be honest with you, because uh, there's nothing like listening to two guys and a producer uh, who you know more than likely either got drunk the night before, still might be drunk, or are definitely hung over on a radio show where you're just pumping out interview after interview after interview. This is the other thing, too, by the way. I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret out here on radio. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> a little secret right here. Hulking and prodding. There it is. Yo, yo. <laughs> Super Bowl shows are the fucking worst. <laughs> They're the worst. But All not ours. Do- ours will no, be great. Uh, They'll be the best uh, shows. It's going to be outstanding. It's going to be outstanding. We're going to win podcast awards. <laughs> We're going to be inducted into the podcast Hall of Fame. We are going to br- buck the trend of, of Super Bowl shows being ass. But for, for a long time, Super Bowl shows for me was like, all right, here comes another you know athlete pushing you know, some kind of, you know, erectile dysfunction cream or, or, <laughs> by the way, the, the application of that, that, that's interesting imagery just to even think about it, an erectile dysfunction cream. Just skip the pill, just go right for the cream. Uh, or, you know, some, so, you know, somebody telling you about prostate cancer or, you know, you got some old NFL athlete just sitting down, not knowing who the hell he's talking to. Oh, I'll let you know. Oh, I let you know. Oh, my God. When I went to the Super Bowl in Phoenix and covered it for Bleacher Report and Sirius XM, and I sit down, and was it Floyd Little, former Broncos running back, I believe, Floyd Little? And I don't know the crack stab. I can see the computer screens lighting up on my guys' faces right now. Yeah, Floyd Little, right? Yeah. Floyd Little sat down at a table with Matt Miller, right? At NFL Draft Scout, our guy Matty and Hall, Matt Bowen. Hall of Famer Floyd Little. Hall of Famer Floyd Little. Okay? He sat down with Matt Miller, Matt Bowen, and me. 
we're doing our Bleacher Report radio thing. Sirius XM in the building. We got we got the big stage where Jamie Foxx is on my right-hand side. Stephen A. Smith is on my left-hand side. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, shit, I'm the quietest brother on this stage right now. Like, I got to up the volume a little bit. You know what I mean? So Floyd Little sits down with us. And I shit you not, this man talked to us for about 12, 15 minutes, right? And it was a great interview. He's got a cowboy hat on. He's looking great. You know what I mean? The microphones go down. He could tell, you know, he knew we weren't recording at this point. Floyd Little leans over to me. He goes, I just want to let you know something, brother. I'm like, oh, here we go. Because anytime an old brother says that to you, you know, a a few things are getting ready to happen. Okay? Some some awful shit is going to be said about a white person or some awful shit is going to be said about you as a young black person or... Or a combination of one and two. You know what I'm saying? Like, anytime my old brother lean into you, you know you're about to get the truth, right? He leans into me. He goes, man, I'm really proud of brothers like yourself who could transition from the playing field <laughs> to this sector of your career as easily as you had. And for years, when this has happened with white athletes, immediately, you know, the armor goes on. Like, what you mean? Uh, A brother can't get this title without, you know, playing a damn sport? But I just sat there, you know, I I just sat there and looked him in his old eyes. And I was like, oh, Floyd, you know, my playing career was tough on me, Floyd. And, you know, I, I, you know, bumps and bruises. You know how it is, Floyd. And uh, you got to start thinking about what's next for you and your family. Mind you, I'm 30 years old. (laughs) <laughs> 32, 33 years or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm talking to a Hall of Famer. I'm like, should I let him know or should I let him down easy? It's one of the things that I love and also I hate because the players of current day who look at you like, oh, he ain't play for shit. He just talk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it was it was fun. It was fun. It was fun to, to catch up with a Floyd Little and and reminisce. The same way Wayne Larravee for, for a couple of years in a row at the score thought that I was a, a former Green Bay Packer. Um, yeah, man, I, I can't wait to go sit down in L.A. next to Ryan Shazier and James Jones, two people who are in tip-top condition, both recently retired from the NFL, and to have some old brother look at me and go, oh, man, all three of y'all, how are your playing careers? And I'm going to have to make up some stats or something like that because I don't know how to let guests down gently. So, yeah, that was my favorite moment. And that and the, poo- and the poopery lady who sat down with us one time. <laughs> Yeah, because cause, cause boy, was I not surprised when, you know, my, my now fiance who moved in had a bottle of poopery. And I was like, oh, I talked to this lady. This is the lady who helps you hide the shit smell. Yeah. So, yeah, man, you never know what the, uh, the Super Bowl is going to bring. Um, I was also in Phoenix uh, when a certain NFL athlete got in trouble. Uh, at the hotel bar. Well, he didn't get in trouble at the hotel bar, but he got in trouble later uh, for for meeting people. <laughs> the after and, party. <laughs> yeah, at the after party for, for meeting people and kind of bartering uh, services, you know. Hey, a little tip for you out there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, escorts, they want their money. <laughs> You're not going to be able to sign a ball for Hang them. on. Let me get a pen. Hang on. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, Tanny. A little, little, little life hack for you. For all you youngsters out there. Right. For all you young sex seekers out right. there. Right. For all you young solicitors out there. <laughs> yeah, escorts want their money. I, I, I learned that as well in Phoenix. Not not because I was on it like that, but because somebody else had an issue that I'm sure is easily Googleable. If Googleable is a word, but I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be out there. We got some great guests lined up for you. Uh, we're actually going to talk to a couple of people who had ties with uh, 
the new Chicago Bears head coach. You know, Matt Eberflus. We're going to talk to uh, one of his def- former defensive players. Uh, we're going we're to spread it around a little bit. There's going to be a lot of football people out there, so we're going to get a lot of football information. Aha, uh-huh, there it is. I dropped it on your little football information. Uh, and, you know, get a chance to see some people. Because I've only been to L.A. once. I went to L.A. when Hustle in the House came out. It's the reason why Nipsey Hustle uh, was and is so important to me, not just as an artist, but also just as an idea. You know, watching his growth as... Uh, when I touched down to go visit my buddy Jerry Brown, who at the time was working for the NFL Network, uh, all we did was ride around and listen to Nipsey's mixtape. And I'm like, yo, this, this, is, this is the next dude. Like, this sounds pretty dope. And even though Nipsey never caught that recognition or that acclaim that I think his talent belied until after his death, unfortunately, um, it was always that feeling that, yeah, some rap is still regional and some rap is still coastal. And, you know, you remember in the 90s where you could turn something on and be like, okay, this is a New York sound or this is a down south sound or this is a West Coast sound. Uh, Nipsey, for me, was one of those last dudes who uh, still had the sound of his town, sound of his city, sound of his hood, but also made it international, made it global and did it in a very, very flamboyant and awesome way to watch. And on top of it, the shit he was talking. Right? He was talking ownership. He was talking self-identification and education. He, he was talking uh, self-preservation. Right, So you watched him mature over the years and talking about real estate and talking about buying his hood up. So yeah, LA holds a special spot in my heart uh, because I went there once, had a great time, went to a party at the Sofitel where Snoop Dogg just walked in. I'm like, oh, this just happens in LA all the time, doesn't it? So looking forward to this trip to LA uh, fiance is going out there with me as well. So I'll have family out there. I'll, I'll try to stay as safe as, and as low as possible in terms of, you know, keeping myself off the radar, but I'm looking forward to running into all of the ringer family as well. Uh, some of the ringer family, John Yastrzemski is going to be out there. JJ is going to be out there. So hopefully I can chop it up with JJ a few times. And my guy, Jim Murray out in Boston is going to be out there. A lot of people, it's the Super Bowl, right? So a lot of people are going to be out there. It's going to be a wild week. And I'm looking forward to uh, bringing a couple of pods your way on Tuesday and Thursday out in L.A. So make sure the voicemail line is right there close to you, because anything that happens out there in L.A., I want you all to be dropping a dime on me and asking questions about it. Right. Like asking questions about the the local fair, asking questions about the weather and all the good stuff. And and, and SoFi Stadium getting a chance to see that thing. So, L.A., here comes the pod. Uh, hopefully we make it back safe and sound. It's the full go, all the time we have for episode 61 of the full go we will return tuesday night when i'll be in la on radio road for the super bowl we got a ton of great guests lined up for you and there will be plenty of surprises as well you never know who we run into on radio road so it should be a great week of shows don't forget as always you can hit us up on the full go voicemail line 773-359-3103 that's 773-359-3103 thank you to our guest dan divide make sure you go check out his piece the last thing he threw out there i believe he threw it out there on february 4th if i'm not mistaken he threw out a piece uh talking about the clippers trading for norm powell and robert covington and the blazers pretty much saying all right Time for us to take this thing back onto the lab. And it's going to have a whole bunch more trade deadline content for you as well. So thank you to our guy, Dan Devine. As always, our producers, uh, the shadowy figure that is Steve Cerruti. 
my main man, Chris Tannehill, and of course, the peeps, Jesse Lopez. For the fellas, I'm Jason Goff. Thank you for listening to this thing, downloading this thing, subscribing to this thing, sharing this thing, and rating and reviewing this thing like we know you do. We appreciate you as always, and we leave you with this. From L.A. next time, take care of each other and be safe.